May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may or may not have heard of it before, but Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a popular theory to explain what we human beings require to live full lives. Could I get the next slide, please? There we go. Maybe you've seen it before. So like it says up here, it's usually pictured as a pyramid, and as you can see, the most important basic stuff is at the bottom. And it works its way up, building one on the other. As you can see at the bottom is the most obvious physiological needs. Air, food, water, clothing, shelter, all that necessary fuel and other stuff we need to merely stay alive. Can't do anything else without that. The next most important thing on the pyramid is safety. Once our need for food and shelter, etc., is satisfied, we turn to this need. We need comfort. We need to know that a bomb isn't going to fall on us tomorrow. We need financial security. We need health. We need, basically, we need stability. And if you work your way up again, next is love and belonging. We need family. We need intimacy and friendships. We need to feel loved and we need to feel cared for. Next up is esteem. We not only need to feel loved and cared for, we need to feel respected. We need to feel valued. We need to feel recognized. We need to feel like we're important, that we matter to ourselves, and that we matter to others. We need to feel good about ourselves and feel meaningful. And finally, way up on the top, sorry, my screen is there. Your screen is here. I keep going, yeah, you know, over there. They're like, Ryan, you've been working too hard. Um, finally, at the top, up here, after all the others, physical needs, security, loving relationships, and esteem, once all of those basic needs are met, then that's when we can start reaching our full potential. We can accomplish and achieve our passions, our life goals, and the like. When all the basics are covered, then we can finally start to become our true selves. At least, that's what Maslow's uh, pyramid tells us. It all makes pretty good sociological sense, because it really does reflect, reflect conventional wisdom on how to live a good life. Once we've got food, shelter, and water, then we can concentrate on stuff like security and safety, finding a decent paying job, or go to college or university so we can get one, or a better one. Once we have that, then it's time for relationships. Once things are all in place and secure, buy a house, start a family, start paying into that pension plan, start on retirement savings and investments, Get in the right career lane so we not only feel secure, we feel useful, like we're contributing to society. That's that esteem thing. 
And then at some point, the hope is that we'll be, then we'll be able to search for meaning and then find fulfillment. If you build one on the other, that's sort of our pattern for prosperity. And like I said, it makes good sociological sense. All of the above, which of course, makes today's scripture reading sound all the more ridiculous, doesn't it? Jesus, it says, calls his disciples and a huge crowd of hangers-on together. These are like the seekers that Jesus is speaking to. And he offers them the following teaching. If any want to become my followers, he says, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Doesn't sound very comfortable. For those, he says, for those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Remember how I said the scripture sounds ridiculous? It sounds ridiculous because basically it flies in the face of how we envision the good life and the right life. Where we tend to believe that the way to a full life is through physical needs, then security, then relationships, then esteem, then self-actualization, Jesus sort of inverts the whole pyramid or at least inserts new pieces in it. Next slide, please. There you go. There's Jesus' pyramid. Deny yourself, he says. Put your own needs in the back seat. Take up your cross. Embrace suffering. Don't run away from it. Be willing to give away everything you've got up to and including your own life, and that's when you'll finally inherit the treasure. Be willing to alienate friends, family, and neighbors, and become a social outcast. Give up your ego, give up your comfort, give up your life to suffering and possible death. All for my sake and the sake of the gospel. That's the real way, Jesus says, to self-actualization, to the fullest life you can live. And it's shaped less like a pyramid, Jesus says, less like a pyramid you build, and more like a cross you carry. And of course, Jesus here isn't just giving instructions. Just before this teaching, Jesus took his disciples aside and told them, the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and in three days rise again. So here, Jesus is saying, if you want to take part in my resurrection, you'll have to take part in my suffering and my death. He's not just giving instructions, it's the pattern that he himself 
will follow. And he says, join me up there. Like I said, it sounds ridiculous. Peter thought it was crazy. When Jesus said that his arrest and suffering and death were unavoidable onto the way of his resurrection, Peter gave him a dressing down. He took him aside. He's like, Jesus, can I speak to you for a moment about what you're teaching? You know how, how bad this is going to be for morale or for the Sunday collection? Do you have any idea how things are going to drop? Tone it down already, Jesus. We've got a respectable religious enterprise that we need to keep running here. I mean, could you imagine me coming up to the pulpit every Sunday and telling you that you needed to deny yourself, give yourself up to suffering and possible death, and that's the only way you can be truly alive? I mean, I prefer to deflect and say, I wouldn't say that. Jesus might. I'm, a, I don't, I'm not saying that. It's at this point in the sermon where my instinct is to pull a Peter, to try to sugarcoat Jesus' words, to explain them, to take off their edge, try to give a better interpretation, to get between us and Jesus, to try to get Jesus to tone it down, at least a little bit. What he really meant was this. Not that. But Jesus says the same thing to me that he says to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You've set your mind on human things, Ryan. You're worried more about Maslow's pyramid than you are the divine truth I'm bringing you. So just get out of my way for once. It's a harsh saying. It's a difficult saying. It sounds ridiculous according to the way we understand the world and envision life in it. But in the end, Jesus tells us the truth. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. All those things that we strive for in life with the hope of happiness, fulfillment, and self-actualization, none of them will ever come through for us. Everything we've been taught by conventional wisdom, everything that's promised to us via commercials, billboards, advertisements, the basic cultural goo out there, is a lie. Because even if we gained the whole world, Jesus says, even if we met every need on the pyramid, even if we filled our bellies, filled our bank accounts and our beds with everything we ever wanted, even then we'd still find ourselves empty. We'd never be fully alive. Like I said, I wouldn't say this. That's what Jesus says. But you know, Jesus tells us the truth. He shows us the truth. He embodies the truth. There is something, someone intangible without which, without whom we will never be satisfied. And that is the love and mercy of the living God. Something that we can't find through all of the conventional methods of 
acquisition, success, or achievement. But we can only receive it by opening ourselves to the difficult, risky, and sometimes painful path of self-sacrifice for the sake of others. In emptying ourselves in patient, self-giving love for the love of God and the sake of our neighbors. In putting our priorities behind Jesus' priorities without fear of judgment or ridicule. The only way to receive this new gift of life, eternal life, life in the full, is by yielding our needs and comforts and security to Jesus' demands on us. Giving our whole lives over, dying to ourselves in order to be raised to new life. It sounds crazy. Sounds ridiculous. But we know it's true. Deep down inside, we know it's true. It's true, and that's what makes it so scary. An overwhelming, seemingly impossible to-do list from Jesus. But the good news, at least, is that it's less a to-do than it is an orientation, a way of life, a path that we're gradually invited to go further and further into. The great preacher Fred Craddock puts it like this. He says, we think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all, right here and now. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in the $1,000 bill for quarters. And we go throughout life putting out 25 cents here, 50 cents there. Maybe a loony to be a bit more Canadian, if you will. Usually giving our life to Christ, he says, isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. Following Jesus isn't done in one single fell swoop of self-sacrifice, although certainly it may be. But for most of us, it's a way of life that's taken up and one that we learn over time. Eugene Peterson, appropriating Frederick Nietzsche, calls it a long obedience in the same direction. One we take on, one small act of trust at a time. A daily path of dying and rising, yielding a quarter here, a quarter there, loony, day by day. Until the account of our own self-interest is emptied for good, to be filled completely by God's Holy Spirit. It's a gradual thing. 
And the other good news is that we're not in it alone. Following Jesus was never meant to be, nor could it ever be, a solo spiritual project. Me and Jesus. We're meant to carry the cross together. The church is what my friend and mentor Ed Searcy calls the school for saints. One where we're learning, one where we're always learning the way of Jesus by taking gradual steps on the way of the cross together. One where we set aside a couple of hours one day a week to worship, to prioritize our spiritual lives over temporary goods. One where we give away our money for the common project of the kingdom so we train our economic muscles to spend more of our money on making a difference in other people's lives than we spend on cable or on Starbucks. I know, I know. One where we take time out of our busy lives to help each other out when we're sick or in need so we can learn to sacrifice our spare time and energy to ease each other's burdens. And one where we learn to welcome strangers, people who aren't like us, with the fullest love and compassion so we can learn to give ourselves away in love to people who the world thinks are otherwise unlovable. And when we do, we might not feel full-blown spiritual ecstasy at first, but each time we get a little glimpse of that self-actualization, that fullness of life we long for, a little taste of true joy. I know a lot of you know what I mean. A little sneak preview of heaven, that total freedom of self-giving love pattern in Jesus' way. One that'll make us want it more and more and more until it becomes second nature to us. As crazy as it may be and counterintuitive as it may sound, it's true and we know it's true. We know it's true. So, brothers and sisters, Fullness of life, true life, life as it was meant to be, isn't found in all the places that we've been taught to look. We won't find it in a hierarchy of needs nor a stairway of success. What we are all looking for, what we are all seeking, is only to be found in the way of the cross, the Jesus way. The way of self-sacrificing, self emptying, self-giving love, in giving ourselves up and in giving our lives away, daily dying to ourselves and rising in new life. As strange as it may seem, as difficult as it may sound, and as hidden as it may be. So, may each of us, may each of you have the courage to Take up your cross and follow Christ. Think not till death to lay it down. For only those who bear the cross may hope to win the glorious crown. Amen.